0: Well this morning as um, of course we know that we're moving into summer and summer's on its way. We're doing a series which we've called traditionally the summer series, uh, which really means that um, it's entirely up to whoever's preaching to do whatever they feel is right for that morning. So uh, this morning I'm going to focus on what is coming as a, what we call a fresh start. A fresh start of course is something that we welcome when we move into a new year. And it's at this point that we decide to make all sorts of commitments, don't we? Commitments to ourselves or commitments to others, commitment to education, commitment to work, commitment to health and well-being, and family. But I want to address something today which I think is really critical, really vital before we put in place any form of new start. So let me pray for us and then I'll begin this talk. Father, indeed, we are here at the edge of a, a new year. 2018 has come and gone, for some it's been a really tough year, for some it's been a year that's just whizzed by with lots of high points, but we're all in it together and time is something that we all have equally. And so we thank you, Lord, for the year that has been and the things that we've learned, things we've experienced. But as we look into 2019, Lord, we want to be able to give that the best possible start. And so this morning as we open Scripture, we're going to find uh, fresh starts, new starts occurring in Scripture again and again. And so we commit ourselves to understanding what this new start looks like from your kingdom's perspective. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I've travelled through the North Island quite a few times. travelled down through central North Island and you get to that long Manawatu area there and you come across uh, a little town by the name of, by the name of Bulls. You like that? Bulls. Heard of bulls? No, town, a town like no other. All right. And um, I, I think it's quite fun, really, how they've taken a very simple name like bulls uh, and they've turned it into something that's a little bit more fun to look at. And so all around town, apparently they've got nearly 60 of these little uh, bull. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a word for it and I can't think of it. Hey. Eh? Logos, slogans, puns. Is that the right puns? Yeah. Okay. So you've got um, Bulls Medical Center where you are curable. You like that? And, um, and if you need some help, you go and see the constable. Okay. And, and all around town, they've got things like um, this, the, uh, the real estate agent, and they say your house is saleable and uh, the mechanic has fixable and the medical centre has, sorry, the, um, the local motel says hospitable, all right? And does anybody know the name of the hotel right in the middle of town there? Yeah, it's called the Rathole. I don't know why it's called the Rathole. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with a bull. It just completely misses the program, all right? It's called the Rathole, and when you drive past it, you can see why. However, <laughs> now truly, truly, you should drive through it and do them a favour. Um, Further down the road, though, is, uh, is a little church called the St. Andrew's Anglican Church. And outside, it's got this saying, forgivable. Do you like that? I like that. And that is the, the theme of my talk today. We're talking about forgiveness. You see, for all the things that you can do in the new year, one of the things that's going to hold you back above all things is uh, this issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness things where you feel you haven't forgiven or things where you feel you need to be forgiven. And forgiveness is a really, really critical part of what it means to have, be, have a human experience. It's said that marriage is two people who are committed to forgiveness making a journey together. Yeah? Two people committed to forgiveness making a journey together. Well, I want to start in Genesis this morning, and uh, as I head down that track, we're going to see just how vital... Forgiveness is in relation to the whole story of Scripture. Now, I was quite surprised earlier on this year when uh, we did a series um, out of the book of James called Travelling Light. And uh, we did it in partnership with the Pyro Baptist Church, and I went along there and opened up the series for the Pyro Baptist Church. And uh, I get up there and I start talking about Travelling Light and said that there are things that you would have carried over your lifetime. And there was a guy in the congregation at the time by the name of Henry, and he was sort of getting a bit wound up, apparently. This is his own story about saying, well, who are you to come here and tell me that I've got things to let go of? And then halfway through the, the sermon, he had a revelation. And he came to our small group celebration uh, from Pyro, and um, he got up and shared this story about how it was that as a young fellow who'd been raised in a home where there was a huge amount of physical abuse going on, domestic, domestic violence and his siblings himself and his mum were victim to uh, dad's violent outbreaks. And so one day, about the age of 14, um, Henry had enough of seeing mum treated poorly. And so he stood up at the table and he, he thrust his dad against the wall, and he said, hey, that's enough. If you do that again, I'm going to kill you. And then he left home. Now, Henry, in his late 60s, early 70s, is now relaying this story That God opened up his heart, opened up his mind to the fact that he'd been carrying this unforgiveness for over 50 years. And so for him, it was an opportunity to let go something that had been holding him back, both emotionally and mentally, for all of that time. And it was a real surprise to me to find that someone had carried that sort of animosity towards a parent for so long. And yet, I shouldn't be surprised because it's a human condition, isn't it? It's a human condition. And some of us can identify with that sort of pain on an extended lease of time. Within scripture, we've got stories that, um, that tell us about how important forgiveness is in the midst, of, uh, midst of the midst of the biblical story. And the first one I want to talk about is Jacob and Esau. This is very early in the book of Genesis. Jacob and Esau, brothers, twins, were wrestling in the womb. And there was uh, this fight that went on between the two of them right from the beginning of their conception. And Esau, being born first, was the one who was to inherit the birthright from the father as the eldest son. He was only born minutes ahead of his brother Jacob. But uh, Jacob was the mother's favourite. And so she ended up with him conniving this sort of plan and plot where he, Jacob, would take the blessing of the firstborn. And so it's a complicated little story, won't go into it, but the story results in the father, Isaac, blessing Jacob with the blessing of the firstborn son. Immediately there's more tension in the family and Jacob thinks it's a good, wise move to get out of town. So he heads off, he shoots off, and he's gone for decades, literally decades. But all along that period of time, he's had this feeling that he needs to reconcile with his brother, and ultimately with his father, Isaac. Now the story goes on that Jacob was blessed by God. He was met by God. He had a whole lot of cool stuff going on that allowed him to be known as a man of God. But all the time he'd had in his background, the sense of which, in which he needed to reconcile his past for the deception that he'd laid upon his dad and his brother. And so for us, we can carry these sorts of things for a long time for things that we know we have done and played a part of and have needed to put right. I, um, about three years ago, had a guy in the church contact me and say, um, he said, I've got uh, nearly $30,000 in cash sitting at home here and I'd like you to take it to an a, 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 um, insurance agent in Auckland. I said, well, why is that? He said, oh, well, 30 years ago, my family and I constructed a fraudulent claim on our insurance and uh, this $30,000 is something that's been burning a hole in my heart for that long. And so I was going up to Auckland for a visit to pick up some other things. And so I said, sure, I'll take it in. So I called into the insurance agent, big, one of those big multi-story ones down the middle of Queen Street. And I uh, said, could I speak to the manager or somebody close to it? And I went in and I said, here's $30,000 cash. And the guy goes, what's that for? And I explained to him the story. I said, you're never going to know the claim, you'll never know the person, but I just want you to know that this person's had a, a difficult conscience before God and it's part of their spiritual journey that they deal with this. And uh, the guy goes, oh, okay, and he gets some women in and they start to count all the money, takes them ages, and they give me a receipt for it. And um, that was important to the guy that gave me the money that I give him a receipt. Um, I could have... <laughs> stra- stra- strange that, I don't know why... But um, I got a receipt, and then he said, you know, this has caused us a real grief. I said, what's the grief? He said, we don't have anywhere to deposit this money. We can't assign it to a particular claim, so therefore it can't go there, and we just don't have a bank account for this to go in. And I just looked at it, I said, well, that's your problem, and I'm really sorry that you don't have a place for this, because this should happen more often. So we find that people carry these these difficulties, these burdens for a long, long time, and they wear away at your soul like seawater would do on a piece of metal, just slowly corrodes it. Well, for Jacob and Esau, this was a, a twofold problem because Esau carried this burden of this broken relationship himself. And there came a time when Jacob just knew before God that he had to go back to see his father and to see his mother and his family. And so the story is really, really long. It just talks about this, this uh, staged uh, reconciliation that finally occurs on the other side of the river Jabbok, where um, Jacob comes and he lays down prostrate. Get that right. Prostrate before God, and um, and uh, sorry, before his brother. And his brother comes and embraces him, and they forgive. Each other, and it's an amazing story because it's one that is planted right there at the early part of the book of Genesis. You know, right from the outset, we've got this story of forgiveness going on. But only um, one generation later, you've got another story of similar nature. We've got a story of uh, that we know of as Joseph and his his amazing technicolor dream coat. If any of you've ever seen the stage play of that, Joseph is uh, the youngest born, almost the youngest born, and he's the favourite of the father which is unfortunate because he gets spoiled. And Joseph is the spoiled brat. And here's a dream that uh, all this wheat is being chopped down and the wheat jumps to life and that represents his brothers. And his brothers, as wheat, are bowing down to him, which is an interesting dream in itself. But just to show you how dumb it is, he is, he goes and tells his brothers this, which is not the brainiest thing to do, really. It even tells his dad and his mum that they're bowing down to him as well. So, you know, these things happen. He's learning. But the brothers are really angry, and they decide to get rid of him. And so they put him in a hole way out in the back of the the farm. They put him in a hole and leave him there. And then a caravan, in other words, a traveling group of people go by who are Egyptians or going to Egypt, and they sell him to the Egyptians. And there he works as a slave, and then he ends up in prison. And then he interprets a dream for the king, uh, for the pharaoh. And he's elevated immediately to a position of prestige and power. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt and leads the whole place economically at an extremely high level of intelligence and planning. And he becomes this really esteemed guy for decades. And then, as we know the story, there's a famine throughout the whole land. And uh, all of Joseph's brothers and family are starving and so they decide they must go and plead their case before the king in Egypt, a pharaoh in Egypt. And the first person that meets them and greets them is none other than their brother Joseph. And the story unfolds, and the brothers are terrified at this because they realize that they are now at his mercy. And being at his mercy, having already been given away as dead, they thought and expected, understandably, the worst. But Joseph forgave them. Joseph forgave them. And so here we have, even before the close of the first book of Scripture, the book of Genesis, we have two very, very powerful stories of forgiveness. And Joseph finishes it with this. He says, he says but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what, it, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So what was intended for harm, Joseph said, has now been turned for God's good. And this is the nature of forgiveness, is that it has this incredible ability to bring healing to something that has a huge capacity for pain and loss. And so when we talk about forgiveness being in that first book of Genesis in such a powerful way, we get to see this theme throughout Scripture, that God's way, that the kingdom way, is about forgiveness. And forgiveness is the ability to turn around something that was going to destroy and keep destroying relationships and be turned around for good. And so when we are here now in this Christmas period... Sorry, this is not working too so good today, is it? I have got a stapler. I'll just staple it to my head. Um, It's better. Um, We probably have come out of um, some wonderful times of celebrating with family and friends, but there's also, in those occasions, times for difficulty to arise. Or you've got those conversations that are no-go conversations, or that thing from the past that we're not allowed to talk about, or that uh, empty chair because somebody just didn't get invited again this year because they create too much pain in the family. And yet Scripture is so powerful about the, not only the desire that God has for reconciliation, but almost to the point where he insists upon it. And so we want to move into the New Testament now, and here we'll find uh, the Lord's Prayer. And there's something I want to point out in this. It's quite fascinating. Jesus was asked and said, "Then this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we, forgive, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive their sins. Now what I've done here is I've taken the Lord's prayer as given to us in Matthew's Gospel, and I've just added the next two verses on that follow from it. Now, it's quite literally not the prayer that Jesus said we should pray, but it's the implication of the prayer that follows. You see up here it says that we should forgive, uh, ask God to forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Personally, I like the word trespasses. Now, maybe I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but trespasses is broader than debts, people who have sinned or grieved against us. And, and it's here uh, that this, this uh, prayer finishes, but then these following two verses are about forgiving people who sinned against you. Otherwise, we too will not be forgiven. Now, that's a very powerful, powerful challenge, isn't it? It's a powerful challenge, which says that because we have been forgiven much, we should also make the effort to forgive others. Jesus uses a parable of a, of a servant who had racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt against his master. And he knew he'd never pay it back. And so he goes and he pleads with the master saying, please forgive me, please forgive this debt. And the master, being generous, says, yes, your debt is cancelled. The guy leaves the building, basically walks out, finds somebody who owes him 10 bucks, and pleads with him to pay him to the point where, because he couldn't, he gets him thrown in jail. Then the master finds out how unmerciful he had been when he himself had already been shown mercy. And so we see these stories again and again throughout Scripture of where one of the huge kingdom values is forgiveness. And that's why we have to say that forgiveness is central to the whole biblical story. And, uh, and for us as followers of Jesus, forgiveness needs to be right up there as something that we, we are considering every day of our lives. It's something that we need to stop and look at and go, okay, I've been hurt or harmed, offended or grieved. I've got a resentment building up. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? If I have been forgiven without measure by the cross of Christ, then it's upon me to do the same, to act in that same spirit. Because Jesus said, uh, sorry, John said of Jesus um, we love because he, loved, he, loved, he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? You start to get the feeling that uh, this is really tied into... <laughs> our own salvation story. You know, there seems to be only one debt, as we're told by John. The only debt that we have is to love one another, and unforgiveness doesn't allow for that, that debt to be paid, not in a way that's positive. We can always pay debts in a negative way by being angry. So how can we avoid sweeping up unforgiveness into our lives? Well, The first thing I think we need to do is hold really closely to us the big story of our own salvation. To whom much is given, much is required. And the much that is required is forgiveness of other people. But to whom much is given, we've been given much by way of Christ dying on the cross. For sins that we we haven't even yet committed, he's died for them all. And for us to carry around unforgiveness and resentment when we have been forgiven much, is just a contradiction of the whole life of the gospel. It's been said that unforgiveness is like swallowing poison, hoping the other person will die. True? Swallowing poison, hoping the other person will die. And the, the crazy thing is, you can drink as much poison as you want, but the other person doesn't even know you're feeling this way. Crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. And the person whom you um, hold resentment against just lives rent-free in your head. Yeah. You go off to a quiet place and you're walking along that, that beach just looking for some peace. And in that moment of peace, this person comes back up into your mind. And you go, wish they hadn't done that, wish they hadn't said that. Or you can equally say, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. And we'll touch on that in a few moments. But um, this comes straight out of the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 step plan. I haven't been reading it personally, but I found it. Haven't been going to the meetings anyway. Unrealistic expectations, sorry, there's an S there, are premeditated resentments. What do you think of that? Unrealistic expectations are premeditated resentments. Okay? Now, I spent 100 dollars on your Christmas present and what'd you give me? Scorched almonds. <laughs> eh? That happens. That happens. But if you had an expectation that someone was going to give you the same sort of quality or value of gift, you'd you'd have a resentment there, wouldn't you? You know? Yeah. You know, potluck dinner? <laughs> Any teenage boys in the house? Potluck dinner? Packet of potato chips, eh, boys? Yeah, look what God provides for a packet of potato chips. Yeah? And all the young women in the house get... Look at those boys. won't take that one as a husband. <laughs> there you go. Lesson for the week, guys. Lesson for the week. Yeah. And so um, we end up with this resentment and uh, it just continues to grow in our lives and we stack up all of these... Expectations against people, against others, often the worst ones are unstated. Unstated expectations or unrealistic expectations uh, are the ones that build the most and they're the ones that lead to an explosion. You know? 20 years of Christmas dinners, 20 packets of chips, 20 boxes of scorched almonds, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. You never, you always. And that's how these unrealistic expectations explode into things that we've uh, never expected or never saw coming. Uh, the words of uh, the great prophet Kenny Rogers, um, you're on a train bound for nowhere. That's okay? a word from the, from the song The Gambler. On a train bound for nowhere is, is what unforgiveness does or that resentment does. Let me give you an example of how easy this can happen. Um, a couple of years ago, Michaela and I were on um, this Camino, which I keep referring to, um, 800 kilometre walk across the top of Spain. And uh, Michaela had a bit of trouble with her knee, so um, by this time we were travelling with a group of others who we so- were socialising with in the evening, catching up with, having fun time. And Michaela heard her knee, and she said, oh look, I want to go ahead, I'm not going to walk today, but I'll go ahead. And what say I put on a meal for everybody? And they're like, yay, Michaela! And so she gets back to the um, hostel that we we're staying at, she goes out, buys all this great food, cooks it up, we arrive uh, smelly and tired, we have a wash, we do everything, and we sit down to this beautiful meal, and uh, we'd already agreed that we'd all put in 10 euro each to pay for it, that was normally what we'd spend on a meal. And uh, so that was great, and then people say, hey, if you're unwell, could you do this tomorrow? says, yeah, this was so much fun. So the next night she goes off, and it's a different meal. And, and then I saw something, I thought, this is interesting. Uh, one woman came up to Michaela and said, oh, uh, look, I didn't eat that much today, so what say I just give you five euro? You know? And we're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then somebody else came up and said, we've had chicken twice now. Is there any chance that we could ha-? And And uh, anyway, we saw this and we thought, we need to save ourselves from ourselves and save ourselves from others. And uh, we just said, hey, look, get your own meal tonight. We'll catch up with you at the cafe or whatever later. And, and that was fine. No one, no one knew that there was any problems. But you just see things emerging. Why? Because people have um, these um, unrealistic expectations. And, and it went both ways. Yeah. Yeah, Michaela's out there doing everything for others, and then someone moans about the price. <laughs> and you're going, Ugh. Okay, you're sort of halfway through that 800-kilometre journey and you feel like saying, do not pass go. Go back to the beginning and start again. You're missing something here. (laughs) Okay. But you see, um, the devil's agenda is destroyed by forgiveness. It really is, quite simple. We're in a spiritual battle, and that spiritual battle exists within each one of us. Okay? Okay. And if there can be anger and resentment built up between us, uh, then we live a sort of a half-life of tension and no-go conversations, no-go relationships. And these are really, really difficult, and we live with them a little bit like you'd drive through a town and you're avoiding all these unseen buildings or curbs or fire hydrants or other cars. And this is how we live our life, all these different resentments, can't go there, can't talk about that, don't want to see that person, and so unconsciously we walk through life like this, whoops, too much of that, whoop, keep going. Why? Because of all these broken down relationships, does that make sense? Does it? We're all human, we've all been there, we all struggle with this, but, but, what we've got to get through into our heads, and this is why... I raise it this morning from the point of the book of Genesis, is that because it's such a th- powerful theme that goes all the way through to the book of Revelation, um, we've got to see that forgiveness is more than a feeling. It's an act of your will. Okay, feelings are real, but not necessarily true. Okay, feelings are real, but not necessarily true, which means that uh, you can't become a victim of your own imagination. Um, now I'm going to play on somebody here. I've done this 20 years ago to young, young Luke over here, see if he's awake. But you know the old story of, uh, you know, uh, Luke borrowed my chainsaw, and next time I went to use it, um, the chain fell off. You know? So I should go talk to Luke about this, but now nah, Luke will just get angry. He'll say the chainsaw was in bad shape. And I'll say, but Luke, the chain fell off. It was, it was perfectly good when I gave it to you. And you'll say, no, well, you know, it only had half a tank of petrol as well, and I left more in it than when it started. And, um, and by the way, and so by the time I, in my imagination, have built and worked through this conversation, <clears throat> Luke is right up there with Adolf Hitler, <laughs> okay? as somebody who, who took my chainsaw intentionally to wreck it. You know, he didn't like, he's never liked me. And I remember that time actually we were out socialising, he turned his back on me. Yeah, you've never liked me, Luke. So you see, you see how we are victims of our own imagination. And so therefore we have to overcome this because imagination and feelings go together. All right? We build up these feelings in our own head and heart. And we have to make sure that our feelings are subject to our will. As difficult as that is, if feelings are subject to your will, you can then put in place things that move in the opposite spirit, consciously. You know, so you're, you're generous when other people are mean, you're, you're kind when other people uh, 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 lack that grace. You know, so these are the things that we consciously put into place. But the biggest challenge of all is to realize that this is also an act of sacrificial worship. Okay, this is sacrificial worship. Remember what Jesus did for us. And so therefore, when we see something that needs tending to in our own hearts and in our own relationships, we have to look at this and say, I will commit myself to this. I'm not going to sit around waiting for the feelings to catch up because they'll never arrive. And I say sacrificial worship because it'll cost you something. Like, when we use this term sacrificial, we're referring back to an Old Testament covenant where people literally took an animal to the temple to have that animal's life sacrificed for the sake of sin that you'd committed. So it has this huge background when we use the word sacrificial. But a sacrifice would cost you something. And that's why God always said, look, don't give anything but the best in your uh, sacrificial worship. You know, the idea was that, you know, because what God knew is that people will try to get away with as little as possible when it comes to sacrifice. So when you are looking to bring something to the temple to sacrifice it, you go out to your paddock and you find old flatty here and you take this to the temple and say, oh, here's my sacrifice of worship today. You know, the thing's... Ready to drop dead anyway. And, and that's hardly a sacrifice, is it? Do you get what I'm saying? A sacrifice of worship is going to cost you something. This thing needs work. <laughs> Feed or something, but kind of helpful for the purpose of the illustration. Yeah. And so for each of us, we need to look at this and say, well, wow, this is going to cost me something here. But to the best of my ability, I'll do what I can. And finally, I'll say this. From Matthew's Gospel, therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So if first, if something comes first means priority, then what Matthew's recorded here from Jesus' words is that Reconciling with somebody else is is right up there with bringing a sacrifice or a gift into the house of the Lord. You see, we don't do our Christianity here for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. We do it every day of the week. And so therefore, for us to think in terms of um, how we operate as Christians and build a kingdom presence around us, you can build a kingdom presence around you by being the person who others know is somebody who can be trustworthy with, uh, with, with, with uh, everything that somebody will give to them. They're trustworthy even with the most difficult of things because you are not prepared to leave stones unturned. You go and you reconcile and make good on the challenges that you have. So I'd just like you to bow your heads right now. Um, I just want to create a little bit of time between you and God. When we think about forgiveness, when we think about resentment, there are always going to be work-ons. Things, situations, people that just consistently need that that work-on. And for some of us here, the timing is such that um, you probably didn't really want to listen to this message today. But God's saying, hey, look, As much as it is up to you, do whatever you can to reconcile things with others. Lord, our hearts can get heavy. Our minds can become full. Our feelings can be stirred. Our emotions can sometimes paralyse us when we consider this. So Father, we ask that you would give us not only the, the courage to make sacrificial f- footsteps towards reconciliation, but you give us wisdom about how to best handle these things too. Allow timing, allow your leadership, and all of these things, Lord, that uh, we know are very much part of the human experience. We just, we just want to see that they don't become the devil's playground for us. But rather they're a place where we can build spiritual muscle. We can take on challenges that others would rather leave behind. We can have those serious talks that will clear the air and change the destiny of families, of relationships, of friendships, and can allow you, Lord, to bring the kingdom of God into that place where forgiveness reigns, where the Lordship of Christ is, is, is powerful and present. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll have some folks available down the front here to pray with you if, you really wanna, if you've got something that you really need to deal with and you feel it's important to pray with somebody. Um, you make yourself known to us and we'll, we'll stand with you in prayer. But for now, thanks, Bailey. I'll leave you to lead us in worship.